How do you navigate a cancer diagnosis whilst dealing with grief? Hello, I'm Angie Greaves, and welcome back to Talking Cancer, a podcast from Macmillan sponsored by our friends over at Boots, where I meet real people to have conversations about living with cancer. I also speak to Macmillan professionals and experts at Boots who share their knowledge and advice to help anyone living with or affected by cancer to live life as fully as they can. Today, we're talking cancer with Chris. Found this lump and, and you know, I, I wasn't too sure, but you know, there, there could be something wrong. In 2007, whilst living and working with family in Cyprus, Chris noticed a lump in his testicle. After confiding in his dad, who encouraged him to get it checked with a doctor, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. He told me there and then, while I was having the, the scan, uh, yeah, this is, this is cancer. Sadly, in 2015, Chris lost his dad to tongue cancer. Just six months later, Chris was diagnosed with testicular cancer for a second time. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. You can always carry on with life, you know, push on, as I did, really. I'll be talking to Chris about his cancer diagnosis and how he dealt with grief after losing his dad. We'll also be speaking to Mark Donovan, who's the chief pharmacist at Boots, for guidance on how people can seek support when dealing with grief. But if you continue to be overwhelmed by your feelings, it's important to get the right help and support. We're Macmillan, and we're talking cancer. So Chris, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. So I hear that you lived in Cyprus for a while. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, it was in 2003. My mum and dad had been on holiday. When they got back, they sat me and my sister down and said, uh, how do you feel about moving to Cyprus? Uh, we, we were pretty excited for it. I did a exam to get into the school over there. Uh, and within the space of a few weeks, we, we were moved over and we spent our first Christmas in Cyprus. So a pretty quick transition then. It was, yes. Yeah. And um, some of the best times of my life were in Cyprus. Brilliant. Can you tell us about your diagnosis? Um, I believe you confided in your dad when you found the lump. And so what did he say to you when you spoke to him? So I was actually um, back in the UK when I I first noticed um, a lump. I rang my parents in Cyprus. I was was due to fly back um, within the next day or so. Um, and I said that I'd found this lump and, and you know, I, I wasn't too sure about it. I thought, you know, there, there could be something something wrong. So the Monday came, uh, me and my dad went to work as usual. We had a, a little bit of a chat about it. Um, he basically pushed me to go and get it checked. We were there for less than a couple of hours. I'd had a scan and uh, there and then I was told that it was cancer. The doctor didn't even wait to send a letter out. He told me there and then while I was having the, the scan that, yeah, this is this is cancer and uh, we need to put you in like as, as soon as possible. It was a bit, bit of a shock, really. Because I was going to ask you, how long was it before you got the diagnosis? It's, it seems strange or harsh to get the appointment and the diagnosis. It must have taken you aback. Yeah, yeah, because it, it, it's not as if you 
you're waiting like usually if if you go for something like that you'd be you'd be waiting for the diagnosis or you'd be waiting like a week or so but he even said that we'll, we'll book you in for this week so i think uh from the diagnosis on the monday i was booked in for the friday for the operation so it it literally just hit you you know like you just hit a brick wall you're like oh okay so you've got this diagnosis now you're in cyprus what was going through your mind I was only 19 at the time so I was like I'm too young for this what you know why why has this happened you know um and and, and what am I going to do and obviously how am I how am I going to be after surgery and everything and you know you've got you've got questions like that running through your head then I had to tell my mum obviously the news that we just got from the hospital she knew we were going but obviously didn't expect us to come back with you know the news that we did um so yeah it was it was a big shock hmm. and did you know anyone with cancer had it touched your friends or family before it's like you say you're quite young yeah when i was younger i had grandparents that had, had gone through cancer and i know that my dad had, had gone through cancer when he was 27 but i didn't really think about it too much um you know just obviously as, lo- as long as they're all right so this this time it, it it did feel new really. Hmm. How did your loved ones react when you told them the news of the diagnosis, especially your mum? It was it was really upsetting for my mum. So it, it was literally at the the front door of the house, and uh, and, and she'd welcomed me opening the door, and uh, and I, I just said it. I just said uh, it's it's cancer, and uh, she broke down, and, and and the first thing she said, she said, "You're too young to go through this." And what do you say? You know, there's there's nothing really you can say. But they they were so good, taking me to the hospital, looking after me, and and you know any anything that I needed. And then um, was it December two thousand thirteen? You're back living in the UK, and then your father is diagnosed with tongue cancer. How did you feel when he got his diagnosis? Awful. Um, my dad it knew something wasn't right for. Um, possibly about a month beforehand uh, and we were it was our first Christmas all of us being back in in the UK when he got told this time we, we knew it, it was a bit more serious it just didn't feel right and uh, it was his one of his best friends basically pushed him to go to the hospital while he was over here uh, well to the GP and yeah he got diagnosed here uh, which basically it was a, a bigger impact this time because me and my dad had set up a business in in Cyprus and he needed to stay back in the UK to go through his treatment. So it wasn't just the impact of my dad's health. It was like, how are we going to you know, su- support financially as well? He went for the operation on his tongue, which I think was booked in for the January, February. And just after he'd had the operation, I decided to fly back out to Cyprus and, um, and carry on running the business, try and, you know, keep money coming in for us. OK, so, Chris, you've, you're back in Cyprus. Obviously, your father's health is very important to you, but you're running a business as well. So you're running the business in Cyprus. Dad's in the UK undergoing treatment. Do you know what kind of treatment he had? Uh, so the treatment that he, he went through included uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy on his neck because the, the cancer had actually spread to his, his lymph nodes. He had a 12-hour operation to remove the cancer on his tongue, 
which was a really invasive surgery. They did a skin graft on his arm to replace the tongue that they cut away. Uh, and they did a skin graft on his thigh, which would then replace the skin uh, that they took from, from his wrist. What I would do is uh, every time that I knew my dad was going to go in for treatment, I'd, I'd get a flight back to the UK uh, to, to spend time, have a few weeks back here while he was going through um, all this different type of treatment. And then once I knew that he, he was starting to recover, then fly back out um, and, and, and try and carry on running, running the business. Now, I know you described your dad as your best friend. Yeah. And unfortunately, he did pass in 2015. So how did his loss, how did that impact you? How did you get through it? I wouldn't say it's, it's a matter of getting through it. It's, it's, it's so hard. Um, this was um, a dad that I worked with, uh, that I used to go out drinking with. Um, he, he was more of a, a best friend, really. I spent so much time with my dad. Even when I was out in Cyprus and he was back here, I'd, I'd ring him probably every single day and see how he was getting on really it, it was it was so hard you know I, I'd lost my working partner I'd lost yeah. my best friend um, and it's like it, you just have to start again um, and and that was probably the, the hardest time really um, the hardest part of my life was was trying to pick up again it sounded like you had a real father-son friendly relationship um, and it sounded as though he was more than a father, a, you know, a real pinnacle in your life. So who did you turn to for support in your time of grief? So I'd met my partner, Sarah, back in February 2015. So Sarah had uh, only known my dad while he was poorly. And it, it was a tough time really for us, us to meet because she basically got thrown in the deep end. Um, my, my dad was really struggling at this point and we'd only been together a few months when my dad got told that it, it was terminal. And, and on that particular day that uh, he got told that it, it was terminal, Sarah had booked a, a full day out in Manchester because it, it was around my birthday. I was like, how, how can I go and en enjoy myself when I know that my life is about to completely change. You know, my, my dad's going to be taken away from me. And my dad knew that all this had been booked. And, uh, and he said, look, he said, there's nothing we can change about what is happening. He said, go and just try to enjoy yourself. He, he was always thinking about other people. He never felt sorry for himself, always making people laugh. He sounded like he would have wanted you to just take the best of him, the best of your friendship with him yep. and live the best life that you possibly could. That's who I'm hearing you're describing to me. Yeah, uh, he, he basically taught me to just enjoy yourself. Yep. No matter what life throws at you, enjoy yourself. And I really feel that that is what has helped me get through um, going through cancer myself is just his view on life. From moving to Cyprus, he, he taught me basically that there's more to life than just work. You yeah. know, um, with us working together, we, we might have a bit of a tough day. Say, right, you know what? We're, we're going to finish for the for the day. We'll go and enjoy ourselves. We can pick up tomorrow. We'll sort it out tomorrow. He, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And he, he was a, a great person to look up to. And then um, 
you're diagnosed with testicular cancer for a second time. So what was going through your mind when you got the second diagnosis? So it was actually while my dad was, was still around, I noticed like um, a heavy sensation in my testicle. And I, I had a, a funny feeling that something wasn't right. I actually got it checked out. I, I, this time I, I didn't want to put any more pressure on my mum and dad at this point. And obviously uh, my mum my caught wind of this and, and she said, why, why didn't you, you say anything to us? And I said, well, you know, we, we've got enough on really with what my dad's going through and and I said that's why I didn't say anything I went for a scan at the hospital uh, where they did pick up something but they concluded that it was dormant uh, they said you can live like that for the rest of your life they said you know it, it may never pop up you know they said just just make sure you keep checking yourself that was great news really but after checking myself I did eventually notice a lump so I began to panic a bit at this point because I think I knew this this wasn't wasn't going to be good. So I went onto the NHS website and I managed to get a number for one of the helplines. So I rang them straight up and uh, and I said, "Look, I've previously had testicular cancer and I've, I've found another lump. You know, I'm 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 not too sure." Uh, and the the lady on on the line was was superb. She said, "Look, if you want to." head to the hospital right now to get checked out. She said, I can totally understand if, if you want to do that. She said, if not, I can book an appointment for you first thing in the morning at your GP. So I, I chose to go for the, the morning appointment with a GP who then referred me to go for another scan. In the UK, they, they don't tell you straight away. Um, so I'd had my scan and it took a week to receive a letter and the letter said, obviously, can you can you attend, attend the hospital? I had a, a funny feeling something wasn't wasn't going to be right. And that's when, when they told us that, yeah, I've got cancer again, basically. The first time round, you'd had your dad as a source of support. And I know your mother is obviously still very much there for you. But by the way you describe your relationship and your friendship with your dad, how did you find getting through it on the second diagnosis? How was that for you? Second diagnosis, completely different this time. Second time around, it's bigger, it's different. This is going to change everything now. So I had had loads of questions. I didn't have my dad around, so I couldn't ask, ask him any questions. Um, and obviously, just, just missing my dad was, was really hard this time. And with a cancer like testicular cancer, I'm going to assume that questions of fertility would have been on your mind. Was there any talk of maybe fertility preservation? Yeah, one of the main questions was um, obviously about fertility because there'd be no chance of, of having children um, after this operation. I got re referred to a fertility clinic in, in Manchester. I went to the fertility clinic, got a letter back about a week later um, saying that it was unsuccessful, that they, they couldn't find any sperm in there, whether this was to do with the tumour blocking this or or what. We didn't really have the answers to that. But at the end of the day, it, it was basically that this wasn't, wasn't going to work. We spoke to the doctor about this after. He said they could try once, once they've re removed the testicle uh, to then try and uh, retrieve sperm from that. And unfortunately, that wasn't, wasn't going to work as well. After the operation the second time, um, that, that was it really, you know.
I know that you had another loss in 2019, didn't you? Yes. So uh, this was um, whilst um, me and Sarah were was travelling. We decided to to pack everything up and, and go on a one-way ticket to Australia. And as we were travelling there, we flew across to Perth as um, Sarah's sister was, was getting married over there. And um, it was at this wedding that I met Nathan. He'd originally gone through testicular cancer, just like myself. We happened to get chatting. Uh, we must have spoke for about an hour outside of the wedding venue, which was quite funny at the time because we, we kept looking back into the wedding venue and there'd be someone being picked up in the air, somebody on a chair in the air, and, and we'd, be, we'd be laughing between ourselves. Um, mm. But we also had uh, had a chat as we had this in common. We decided to keep in touch once he'd gone back to the UK. We'd send messages to each other. I'd, I'd see how he's getting on and he'd ask me, you know, uh, how we're getting on with travelling, what, what were you up to? Um, and such a lovely guy. We were planning to meet up with him when we got back from Australia. And this is when I think we was only about a week away from getting back to the UK um, when when we got the news basically that he'd, he'd passed away. Um, he was only 22. The cancer had, had, had spread to his bones and um, there, there was nothing, nothing they could do. Chris, you've had a tough few years, yeah. but you've kept going forward. You've kept going forward. What do you think has kept you going? There must be something in you that you attribute your strength to that's kept you going. Yep, yeah, um, it's, it's everything that my dad's passed on to me. Um, he's, he's just like, his outlook on life was always positive and he, he just carried on through life no matter what what he threw at him. He always had people laughing and, uh, and my, my girlfriend Sarah as well. She's She's really been... Superb through it all. And and my mum, you know, I've got to give it to my mum, really. So even though there's other support systems out there, do you find that it is really the love of your family that's kept you one day after another? Keep going. Yeah, we, we was always a, a really close family. Um, we'd, we'd be out every weekend for meals. We'd spend a lot of time together. We were a very close family. Hmm. So what advice would you give people who are dealing with grief? If there's one thing you could pass on, what would it be? I'd say, think of yourself. And there's always light at the end of the tunnel. You can always carry on with life, you know, push on as I did, really. So, Chris, what does the future look like for you? You're going to push on. What plans do you have for the future? Oh, I don't know. Um, me and Sarah are always on about um, heading abroad again. When we came back from Australia, uh, we... We were in between heading back abroad again. And unfortunately, that was the winter that coronavirus hit. So it, it, it changed our plans. But we'd saved up enough money then to um, to buy a house back here. So it, it just shows it, whatever life plans can change, we'll take it as it comes. If uh, if the world opens up again, we'll go travelling again. Uh, we, we, we love seeing the world. It sort of opens your mind to, to different places and people. Um, and we, we really do enjoy that. What would your dad say to you? I'm sure he'd say, carry on what you're doing. Um, enjoy yourself. Keep smiling. Um, you only get one life. Live it. Chris, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you so, so much. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Questions about cancer. 
Boots and Macmillan are by your side from the moment you're diagnosed, through your treatment and beyond. Our Boots Macmillan information pharmacists are on hand with specialist support from helping you make sense of your diagnosis to advice about living with cancer. You can now access this specialist cancer support at every Boots pharmacy in the UK. Visit boots.com slash Macmillan for more information. Subject to pharmacist availability. Welcome, Mark, and thank you so much for joining us today. Now, can you tell us a little bit about your role? Hi, Angie. Yes, it's great to have another opportunity to talk cancer. My role is the chief pharmacist of Boots, and we've had a partnership, of course, with Macmillan for many, many years. And many of our pharmacists now are Boots Macmillan information pharmacists that are in our pharmacies because we think it's really important that those people affected by cancer can gain as much support as possible wherever they are. We've just been talking about grief with Chris. And we know that for lots of people, before they pass away, palliative and end-of-life support, it's really crucial. So can you explain to us what the difference is between palliative and end-of-life support? Yeah, sure. The terms palliative care or end-of-life care can often be used interchangeably, but there are some important differences. Palliative care is treatment care and support for people with life-limited illness and their family and friends. And the aim of palliative care is to help you to have a good quality of life. And this includes being as well and active as possible in the time that you have left. Uh, A life-limiting illness is an illness that can't be cured and that you're likely to die from. Um, Some people might call this illness life-threatening, or sometimes they use the word terminal, don't they? Some people might also describe the illness as progressive, which means that it gets worse over time. And you can receive palliative care at any stage in your illness. You know, having palliative care doesn't necessarily mean that you're likely to die soon. Some people receive palliative care for years and years. You can also have palliative care alongside treatments and therapies and medicines aimed at controlling your illness, such as chemotherapy or radiotherapy. But an important part of palliative care is about caring for people who are nearing the end of life. And that is sometimes called an end-of-life care. And it's important to understand that it's that's for people who are thought to be in the last year of life. But of course, this time frame can be very, very difficult to predict. And I know you've just given a really good example of palliative care, end-of-life care. Can you just maybe give me some specific points of what it might look like, what end-of-life and palliative care might look like? It often... involves managing physical symptoms such as pain uh, but it can include and should include emotional spiritual psychological support as well and other support such as social care which may include help with things like washing or dressing or eating and it's really important we mustn't forget this there's also an element of support for your family and friends too you may need more of this type of support towards the end of your life and in end of life care talking to you and the family and friends about what to expect towards the end of your life is very important to enable you to die well and this is sometimes referred to as an advanced care plan which is simply a plan put in place by the palliative care to coordinate your care 
So if somebody's just been told that they are eligible for palliative or end-of-life care, this can understandably be upsetting to hear. So where can people go for support and also information? Well, it, it can be very upsetting, of course. But remember, there's lots of support available for both you and your family and friends as well. A member of the palliative care team is a good place to start. Um, that could be the specialist palliative care doctor or palliative care nurse. But each team often have others you can talk to too, like a social worker, a physiotherapist, a pharmacist, a counsellor, and even a chaplain or a spiritual care coordinator as well. Macmillan professionals are often part of that team. And remember that the Macmillan Cancer Support Line is open seven days a week, 8am to 8pm, where you can talk to a Macmillan professional, or you can chat online or email in all confidentially, of course. And Macmillan host online communities too on a number of different topics, which are really are a wonderful, wonderful support. And in those online communities, there's a forum for patients living with incurable cancer too. Are there ways to access support in the community? Well, when you're being looked after at home, it's your GP, of course, that has overall responsibility for your care. But there are other healthcare professionals who work in the community that your GP will be able to help you decide whether you need them. Um, they include community nurses that can visit at home, um, occupational therapists that might be able to help adjust things in your home too to help you manage a bit better, or physiotherapists who can help you find the right exercise for you to help you keep moving or even reduce pain too. And sometimes you might be referred to a hospice or a palliative care unit of a hospital. In there, you'll find lots of support where they assess and manage your illness and you're likely to meet some of the palliative care which work out in the community and come to visit you at home. Um, Macmillan nurses can help you with a number of different things from understanding your symptoms and helping with medication or even the financial help. And Boots and Macmillan have had a long partnership and we've trained our pharmacists to be Macmillan information pharmacists and you can now access them in all of our pharmacies and they can help with understanding where to go for help wider than that, of course. And many people at the end of their life will need medication and our pharmacists can help with the medication needs too. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask, what support is there for loved ones? They're going to need support as well. Yeah, it's really important to look after loved ones too, isn't it? Uh, I know that for many patients with advanced cancer, this is something that they need to make sure happens and it bothers them and they worry about their loved ones. Palliative care is for everyone affected by cancer. And of course, it'll be focused on the person directly affected. But it's okay that others ask for help too. In fact, it's welcomed. So of course, when someone is coming to the end of their life, it can be really difficult to talk about. So do you have any advice for what language to use around somebody coming to the end of their life or where people can go for guidance? Well, it can be so very very difficult. And sometimes the words just, I guess, cannot be found. There's no right or wrong way. And I think that's really important to remember. You might want to plan a time and a place to have a discussion uh, so that you can think about what you want to say in advance. Sometimes it might be easier to have a conversation more casually, you know, like walking around a park or over a meal. But with most difficult conversations, honesty is usually the best. You know, try not to be worried about showing your emotions. It's normal to find these conversations difficult, but it's always good to talk. Tell them that you love them. You're scared, worried about what will happen, whatever's on your mind, really. And I guess accept that conversation is going to be hard, uh, 
My dad passed away 10 years ago with incurable cancer. And I remember trying to start a conversation about him dying very clearly. He was a gentle, private, shy man. And I can remember the times I tried to, to start a conversation. Many times I tried to start a conversation, but it was too hard. And then there was one time that my dad, my mum, and myself were in the living room, and I just felt that I just had to say something, you know, anything. So, you know, I blurted out, we need to talk about when you die. And it felt so cold. It felt really factual. It was a surreal conversation, I remember. And I wanted it to be so much more compassionate than it actually sounded. But but I knew it was the right thing to do. So I asked him about what he was worried about. Um, and we talked about his fears about not being able to look after mum. I asked him about what he thought about his funeral. To my surprise, he had thought about it, what songs he wanted, you know a simple casket. He wanted to die at home. You know, it was a really hard conversation and we were all in tears, of course, but I'm glad that we had it. And, and afterwards, you know, some days when I rang him up, the conversation was simply, you know, was it a good day, dad, or was it a bad day? <laughs> and others a bit more than that, you know, but the first conversation opened up a door to discuss other things. He'd say, have you sorted the undertakers yet? Because for him, that was the the one thing that he really didn't want mum to do and then he was that was the really important thing to him and i was able to reassure him that i had and that clearly took a weight off his mind it's going to be upsetting and it's going to be hard but start the conversation thanks for sharing that piece of guidance mark when somebody does reach the end of their life and they pass away there are lots of options to help those around them deal with grief so can you tell us a bit about this we have to recognize that grief is a natural response to losing someone you care about, and there's no right or wrong way to grieve. Everyone's experience of grief is, is individual, of course. The, the important thing to do is to do what feels right for you um, and, and allow yourself time to do it. And these feelings, you know, soon after will be at their most intense, and for some, they'll be most intense weeks or months afterwards. And you may find it hard to cope with your emotions and, and, and also the practical things that you have to do, of course. Macmillan has lots of information to help you cope with some of those feelings, though, or questions that you might have. You know, the cancer support line is still there to help you when somebody has passed away. And there's plenty of practical information and support, starting, importantly, with how you support yourself and then lots of other practical matters that perhaps need to be addressed, like caring for the body or registering the death or telling others about the death, funeral arrangements and things like that. You can find support for all these things at, at macmillan.org or Macmillan has a fantastic booklet which covers these things. Some people may suffer from prolonged bereavement, Mark. So can you tell us a bit about this? Where can people go to access support? Some people find life very difficult following bereavement and overwhelmed by their feelings for months or years after their relative or friend had died. And they may find it difficult or even impossible to return to work or socialize with friends, or they might not sleep well or find it hard to get out of bed in the morning. That's what we mean by prolonged bereavement. Uh, and others may have suicidal thoughts too. Uh, if it's prolonged bereavement. And, and as I've said, there's no right or wrong way to grieve and there's no set period of time to grieve for. But if you continue to be overwhelmed by your feelings, it's important to get the right help and support and you should talk to your GP. 
and you should talk about how you are feeling and the GP may suggest some extra support for you, which might include referring you to a bereavement support group or a counsellor or even prescribing some medication to help you with the way that you're feeling. And of course, there's still lots of support available on the Macmillan website or from the support line, even after somebody has died. Mark Donovan, thank you so much for your time and your words of encouragement. Thanks, Angie. My thanks to Chris for speaking so openly with us today and sharing his story, and to Mark for his guidance and advice. If you'd like more information about the things we've talked about in this episode, and for more information about how to donate, please visit the Macmillan website, www.macmillan.org.uk forward slash podcast. I'm Angie Greaves. Talking Cancer is a Macmillan Cancer Support Podcast. <laughs>